Thank you, Tom and Debbie. Brother Tom will be bringing our message tonight in our evening service at the Christmas in the country. Looking forward to hearing that. Uh, turn your Bibles, if you would, please, again to Luke chapter 2. As you're turning there, if you missed our last services, especially last Sunday night, the Christmas Eve service, we had a tremendous crowd between the uh, good, uh, good news, the Blast Kids uh, Club that came and sang. Also, our Christmas cantata, the church was packed. We had to put chairs along the aisle, and after I gave the announcements, went to the back, I could not find a seat to sit down. I had to stand in the back and watch the service, but it was a great service. And if you missed that, you missed a blessing. Also, this past Friday night, we had the Christmas concert with the Eversons, and that was a wonderful service also. And it's been a very busy, busy few days, and, and we're glad you're here this morning. Thank you so much for coming. Our focus this month is on the main characters of the Christmas story. We began, we looked at Mary, the mother of Jesus. Last week, we looked at Joseph, the husband of Mary. And today, we like to look at two other characters, that of the angels and also the shepherds. And so uh, we're going to begin with talking about God's holy angels, God's holy angels. Let me give you a little background about it. Angels are powerful beings. They were created by God. They are superior to us in every way, in intellect, power, and knowledge. They always appear in a masculine form. Contrary to many figurines, they're never feminine, they're never children, they're always a male form, and they are uh, powerful. Angels are divided in two categories. Good angels refer to God's angels and also evil angels. The angels that follow Satan as rebellion against him refer to as demons in the Bible. But God's angels are there to serve God and glorify him. In fact, the term angel itself is not a personal name. It is a title uh, given to them, described in office. In fact, there are three personal names of angels we're given in Scripture. You know what they are? The first one is Lucifer. That was the name of Satan. And then there's Michael, the archangel, and Gabriel. Gabriel mentioned in the New Testament. But the word angel literally means messenger. Angels are God's messengers. For example, uh, they were messengers to Zacharias in the birth of John the Baptist. They were messengers to Joseph in the pregnancy of Mary. They were messenger of Mary herself uh, when uh, she was told she was going to deliver a child. Two years later, when the wise men finally came, did not find a, a baby lying in a manger, but a two-year-old boy in a house. And when they came there, uh, when they, after the, that, the angels appeared to them and told them to, to leave and flee to Egypt because the king was sent to kill the child. Not the, excuse me, not the uh, wise men, but Mary and Joseph. And then uh, while they lived there for a while, when the king died, the angels appeared again and told them to go back to Israel. And so they have been God's messenger. Today, we'd like to talk about an individual angel. Look in verse 8, please. In Luke chapter 2, verse 8, well, here we have an individual, a single angel. It says in verse 8, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in a flock, keeping watch over their flock by night. In verse 9, And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. Notice here, 
an individual angel, and this angel's person, what was this angel's name? We don't know. <laughs> it was not given to us. However, in the first chapter of Luke, the angel appeared to Zacharias was Gabriel. Then later on, later on in Luke chapter 1, angel appeared to Mary. Who was that? Gabriel. So many believe this was Gabriel also, but does not say, just as an angel of the Lord. That was his person. He was from the Lord. But notice the angel's announcement. In the latter part of verse uh, 9, not the angel's announcement, the angel's appearance, excuse me. It says, the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. The glory of the Lord means an exceeding great and bright and luminous light appearance, and perhaps like that of the Apostle Paul when he saw on the road to Damascus. Remember, it was so bright, it blinded Paul. But it did not necessarily blind them, but it scared them. It petrified them. Great. That they were sore afraid. The word sore afraid means fear upon fear. And that was their appearance. But now notice the angel's announcement. We saw his person. He was an angel from God. His appearance was the glory of the Lord. And his announcement, first of all, was a, ma- a message of comfort. It says there in verse 10, And the angel said unto them, fear not. Why? Because they were petrified. The word fear means to struck with terror and seized with fear. The appearance of the angel of the radiant glory of God terrified them. And so the angel brought good news and listen, don't be afraid. Fear not. And the message of comfort was also a message of good news. It said there in verse 10 again, it says, Behold, I bring you what? Good tidings. Boy, what a uh, probably a contrast in how they felt. Being terrified, scared to death, and all of a sudden, listen, don't be afraid. I've got good news. It was a, a good news, one of great joy. It goes on to say in verse 10, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Not just joy, but what kind of joy? Great joy. But also it was one to all people which shall be to all people, not to a select few, not to what we many people call the, just the elect. It was to all people, all mankind. Was the, this was good news for them. So it was one of great joy, one to all people, but lastly, it was one of a Savior. In verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a what? Savior, which is what? Christ. Now, the word Christ is the synonymous with the Old Testament word Messiah. The word in Old Testament Hebrew is Messiah. The New Testament is Greek. So this was a message that Messiah is here. Israel had longed for the Messiah to come. They were under the bondage, the tyranny of Rome, and they were looking for a deliverer. And God uh, sent an angel to tell uh, these, of these, uh, the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. So the angel's announcement was a message of comfort, a message of good news. But lastly, notice it was a message with a sign. Look in verse 12, please. This message included a sign. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. So what were the signs of this child? What does the word sign mean? The word sign means a mark or token, that by which a person or thing can be distinguished from others. So what were the signs or the marks that would distinguish this child from others. There are two of them mentioned here. The first one, the babe should be wrapped in what? Swaddling clothes. What are swaddling clothes? What, why is this a sign? 
Now today, many times, uh, nurses will take a baby and wrap them. They say they're swallowing clothes. But it's not what it means today. What did it mean back then? The origin comes as a result of a harsh countryside in the Middle East. As people took off on trips, very often the trip lasted days, weeks, sometimes months. It was not uncommon for sickness or an accident to take place. And there were many deaths on these trips. The Middle Eastern culture developed a way to deal with these in-journey deaths. Each person on the death would take a long, thin, gauze-like cloth, wrap it around their waist many times. This would be underneath their normal clothes. This cloth would be reserved for their death. If someone died during the journey, the friends and the family would remove the swallowing cloth around their waist and wrap them from head to toe so they continue on the journey and take the body with them. That cloth wrapped around the dead person was called swaddling clothes. The baby Jesus was wrapped in Joseph's death cloth. Joseph swaddling clothes. The sign for the shepherds that they'd find a baby not wrapped in a blanket, but wrapped in death clothes, swaddling clothes, and showing that the baby was prepared for death. Even in his death, it was a signal that he was born to die. That was his purpose, shown in the very instant of his birth. They wrapped him in death clothes at the time of his birth. So the first sign was a baby wrapped in these clothes. The second one was what? It was lying in a manger. Now, what is a manger? A manger is a feeding trough. A feeding trough, in Bible times, they they were made out of clay mixed with straw or from stones mixed together with mud or sometimes just carved out a piece of stone. It was a place for the animals to feed. The sign was the shepherds would not find the Messiah in a palace wrapped in fine linen, but a stable. What was a stable like? You've been in a stable? What's the fragrance like in a stable? Not very pleasant. Now, you think about this for a moment. Here's the king of glory. The one Isaiah spoke about, sitting upon the throne, the angel said, holy, holy, holy comes to this earth not to be born in a palace among kings, wrapped in fine linen, but a baby born in a stable among smelly, stinking animals, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying. His crib was a feeding trough. If you would, please, hold your finger right here. Go with me now to Philippians chapter 2. This is not on the screen or in your notes. Philippians chapter 2, please. Here it talks about how Christ humbled himself. The humiliation of Christ when he came to this earth. In Philippians chapter 2, page 1653, if you're using a church Bible. Philippians chapter 2, look with me, would please. In verse 5. Philippians 2, verse 5. Here Paul speaking to the Christian. He says, let this mind be in you, this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Read on. Who, talking about the Lord Jesus, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Skip down to verse 8. And being found fashioned as a man. That's what we celebrate for Christmas. When God came to this earth and was fashioned as a man, when he took on human flesh, born of a virgin, it says here he what? 
humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. From his birth to his death, the Lord Jesus Christ humbled himself. He came to live among men, not born in a palace among kings, among the priests, wrapped in fine linen, but among animals, laying in a trough, wrapped in swaddling clothes. My friend, he humbled himself. The king of glory, even in his death, he died a criminal's death, a crucifixion. Indeed, he humbled himself. So this child will be known by wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a feeding trough. That was the announcement of the individual, let me get it out, the individual angel. Now go back to Matthew, back to Luke, please. Now we move from an individual angel to a multitude of angels. In verse 13, it said, And suddenly there was with the angel, the individual angel, a multitude of the what? Heavenly host. Luke 2.13. And notice this multitude was really an army from heaven. The word host is a military term of a band of soldiers. A great number of them. They suddenly came with a single angel and noticed an army from heaven, an army announcing peace. Usually an army comes for war. And the army said, the multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, what? Peace, goodwill toward men. This is not a biblical source, but there was a secular source of history said the only time in human history when there was no war recorded on this earth was the 33 years Christ was on this earth. The angel said, come and bring peace on this earth. So the angels were messengers of the birth of Christ, but he didn't stop there. The angels are also messengers of the resurrection of Christ. Do you realize that? Keep your finger in Luke. Go to Matthew, please. Matthew 28. They brought the message of his birth but also brought the message of his resurrection. Matthew chapter 28, please, page 1392, two books before Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And look in chapter 28, please, of Matthew. They were messengers of his birth, but also messengers of his resurrection. In chapter 28, verse 1, if you would please. In verse 1 and 28, it said, The end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. Verse 2, And behold, there was a great earthquake, and the angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was as lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. The keepers were the the soldiers guarding the tomb. Then verse 5, the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. Verse 6, he's not here, for he is risen, as he said, come and see the place where he laid. So these angels were messengers of his birth, of his resurrection, and guess what else? His second coming. Go now to Acts, please. Go to Acts chapter 1. Page 1525. Keep your finger in Luke. We're coming back to that. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. 
Remember, the word angel literally means messenger. Messenger of the birth, the resurrection, and the second coming of Christ. All were brought to us by the angels, that message of good news. Acts 1, verse 9, please. This was the ascension of Christ. The last thing he said was verse 8 and verse 9. It said, and when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Verse 10. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by in white apparel. The two men were angels. Verse 11. Which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall what? Shall so come. And like man, have you seen him go in heaven? So the angels were messengers of Christ's birth, resurrection, and second coming. Now, look up here. We're looking at main characters of the Christmas story. We focus on the angels. Now, let's talk about the shepherds, Bethlehem's lowly shepherds. Go back to Luke, please. Let me give you some background about shepherds. In that day, shepherds were considered to be the lowest rung on the social ladder. Their work not only kept them away from the temple and the synagogue, but made them ceremonially unclean. Yet, in his grace, God gave the first announcement of the Savior's birth to lowly shepherds. The angels did not appear unto kings or unto priests. He did not appear to the politicians or the clergy. He appeared to the lowly esteemed shepherds. They were God's first spokesmen of the gospel. Now, look at the shepherds' responsibility. What were they, what were they doing? The responsibility in verse 8 of Luke 2. There were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field. What? Keeping watch over the flock by night. Their responsibility was to watch over the sheep. Basically, the word watch means guard or protect from wild animals or from thieves. So that was their responsibility. They were watching the thieves. But notice the shepherds worked in shifts. This was the night shift. When I was in my early 20s, I worked for the telephone company. When I first got hired, I was on the low totem pole of seniority. And they had shift work around the clock. They had 8 to 4, 4 to 12, and 12 to midnight. And guess who got stuck on the 12 to midnight shift? <laughs> Those of low seniority. I hated that shift. And my friend, that's what their shift was. It was the, during the midnight shift. They, it said they watch over the flock by night. So the responsibility was to watch, protect the sheep. And they were doing that during the nighttime. And they appeared at that time is when the angels appeared. And so that was the responsibility. Notice the shepherd's response now to this appearance, to the message. In verse 15, please. The shepherd's response, it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, let us now go even to Bethlehem and see this thing which was come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. Verse 16, and they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. Notice here, their response to the angel's announcement was one of urgency. They were urgent to go and find the child. It said there, they went without hesitation or delay. Verse 15, the middle part, let us now go. They didn't say, wait till tomorrow. They didn't say, next week we'll plan to go. 
Let us now go. In verse 6, and they came with haste. You know something I find interesting? Uh, who were watching the sheep? <laughs> I mean, they, they left. Maybe there's someone else assigned to it doesn't say, but the one who were watching the sheep, guarding the sheep, said, let us now go, and they made haste to go see the child. So they went without hesitation or delay, and they found the babe after much searching. They found the babe after much searching. The verse 16, and they came with haste and found. The word found there means to find by searching. Let me check your Bible knowledge. When the wise men came two years later, how'd they find the babe? Now, he was two years old, not to find him in a manger, in a stable, but in a house. How'd they find him? A star led them. The star is not mentioned here. They just went and searched. Maybe they went from stable to stable. It doesn't say. There was no star to lead them. There was nothing to lead them. So they left with haste, and, but they found. The word found means found out by much searching. They were urgent to go and find the child, but also they were urgent to tell others. They were urgent to tell others. Verse 17. And when they had seen it, the child... They made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. The first human ambassadors of the gospel were lowly shepherds. He did not choose priests. He did not choose kings. God chose the low rung on the ladder. He chose these lowly shepherds. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, it tells us who God chooses for service. I preached on this a couple of weeks ago. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world and the things which are despised, God hath chosen. God chose the low rung of the ladder, social ladder, to choose. He chose those steamed foolish, weak, and base among people. I'm about you, that gives me a lot of hope. For those of us who may not be very much, God has chosen the nobodies to deliver his message. God's chosen the nothings to show himself to be something. He chose these lowly angels. So we saw the shepherd's responsibility. We saw the response. Now, lastly, look at the shepherd's return. Remember, they found the child. They told it everybody around, made known to Ron, and now they return back to the field. And it said, verse 20, how'd they return? It said, verse 20, and the shepherds return what? Glorifying and praising God for all the things which they had heard, and seen and was told unto them. The word glorify means giving honor to God by celebrating with praises. Someone said they were turned different when they left. They were not the same. They were turned with a bounce in their walk and a spring in their step. They were praising God because they found the child. Someone said when a person finds the Savior, he's never the same. And he has to tell others. Let me say that again. When a person finds the Savior... He's never the same, and he has to tell others. Was that not true of the shepherds? They found they had to tell everybody. They made known abroad and came back. Wouldn't surprise me, skipping and dancing. <laughs> they came back different when they left with a spring in the walk and a uh, bounce in their step. Let me tell you about somebody else that did that. If you would please, now go now to John chapter 1. Here's an individual when he found the Savior. Let me see how he responded. John 1, page 1485. You can let go of Luke there. 
Again, I was showing you that when a person finds a savior, he is never the same. And he has to tell others. When you find John 1, look at me, please. As a pastor of many years, I have found, do you know who the greatest soul winners are? Those who are the greatest spokesmen for Christ? It's not scholars in Bible colleges. It's new believers. It's those who get saved. They're excited about being saved. They're excited they found the Savior. They're excited about forgiveness and eternal life. And that was the uh, shepherds, but also another man by the name of Andrew. It was Simon Peter's brother. Look how he responded. John 1, verse 35, please. John 1, 35. It says, again the next day after John, this is John the Baptist, John 1, 35. After John stood and two disciples, two disciples, and looking upon Jesus, and he walked, as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak and followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? And they said unto him, Rabbi, which is saying, being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? And he saith unto them, Come and see. And they came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the ninth hour. Verse 40. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Verse 41. Don't miss it. He first findeth his own brother, Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted to Christ. And verse 42. I love this. And he brought him to what? He responded the same way angels did. As soon as he found the Messiah, he was not the same. He had to tell somebody else. He had to tell his brother, and he brought Peter to Christ. Let me ask you, do you remember what it was like when you got saved? Do you remember the excitement of knowing Christ as Savior? Remember the joy of knowing your sins are forgiven, you have eternal life? My question, Christian, have you lost that? Have you lost that joy? Have you lost the desire to tell others? If you would please go with me now to Psalm 51. This verse and one more will close. Psalm 51, page 859. Psalm 51. When you find that, look up here, if you would. We're going to look at it this morning. A person had lost the joy of his salvation. And I found people that have been saved for years can lose that excitement. Can I say you can lose the spring in your step, the bounce in your walk? You can lose that excitement that you had when you first got saved. In Psalm 51, what David, he lost the joy of salvation because of sin in his life. Sin can rob you not of your salvation, but the joy of your salvation. And it says here in Psalm 51, verse 12, look what he says. This is David's prayer. He said, restore unto me the what? The joy of thy salvation. Uphold me with thy free spirit. And verse 13, then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. He said, restore the joy, and I'll tell others about it. I have found from Scripture, not only will sin rob you of the joy, you know what else does? Everyday life. Just the responsibilities, the burdens of life, caring for others, your family, your children, the work, in the midst of all that, you can lose the joy of salvation. Have you lost that? Let's ask during this Christmas season, 
God might do that for us. Lord, restore unto me the joy. Bring back that excitement I had when I first got saved. And know it, Lord, I'll tell others about it. <laughs> and you will. Remember, it always associates with that. David said that, and I'll tell others what you've done for me. We'll close with this. You can close your Bibles. In John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1, the verse will be on the screen. Here it tells us why Christ came. We're going to wrap it up with this. John, 1 John chapter 4. You can turn there or you can just look at the screen. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son in the world. That's Christmas time. Why? That we might what? Live through him. Verse 10. It says, here it is love, not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The word propitiation is I, I call a $5 word. You know what it means? It means payment. Literally a satisfactory payment. Well, again, God loves you so much. He sent his son to this world that you might live through him. You might live through what he did for you. What did he do for you? He died for you. And when he died on the cross, he made a payment. You know what I'm glad about? He didn't pay for part of my sin. He didn't pay for most of my sin. He paid for all my sin. And his payment was satisfactory to God. The very God who said, the soul that sinneth must die, must have been satisfied. And the payment Christ made on the cross satisfied what God demands of you. And what did God do to show us that he was satisfied? Raised him from the dead. Now, please listen. During this Christmas season, the devil really doesn't care or mind much if you worship the birth of Christ. You know why? Satan was not defeated at Bethlehem by a baby in the manger. He was defeated at Calvary by the man who died on the cross to pay for your sin. You can worship the birth, but don't forget why he died. And we know why he died. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes. He was born to die. Why was he born? To die for you. And when he died for you, my friend, he paid for your sin. And was buried and rose again. And because of the payment Christ made for you, God offers you eternal life. And you know what? It's free. The Bible says, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable what? Gift. A gift so great, words cannot rightly describe and all this Christmas season, uh, God has a gift for you. Can, can I be honest with you? I'm 69, pushing 70. But I'm still excited about seeing a gift with my name on it. <laughs> on the, underneath the tree, there says David on it. I said, I'm excited about that. But God has a gift with your name on it. That gift is Jesus. And he gave himself for you that you might live with him. And like any gift, you can look at it and stare at it and say, it looks nice. But to, be, to become yours, you have to receive it. But to as many as received him, to them gave you the power of the right to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Our friend, have you ever received Christ? If you have, rejoice. Listen, if you have, have you lost the joy? Have you forgotten to tell others? You say, Pastor, if you honestly say, Pastor, I've lost that joy. I'm not excited about it as it used to be. Then let's ask God during the Christmas season. Lord, I like Christmas gift, but I, what I want the most is Christmas Restore to me the joy. Let me get excited once again about being saved. And he'll do that. And then guess what? Go tell others. Let's bow together, please. 
As our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, again, I've been speaking this morning to Christians, looking at the Christmas story, looking at two major characters, that of the angels and of the shepherds. And oh, how we can learn from those shepherds that when they found the Savior, they had to go tell others. Maybe that's what we need to do. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one look around. How many say, Pastor, I'm saved, I've trusted Christ, I just know that for certain. But Pastor, to be honest, I've lost the joy of that. I've lost the joy of my salvation. And I've forgotten I need to tell others about how, what Christ did for me. So Pastor, would you pray for me this morning that God restore unto me that joy? If that's your prayer today, would you raise your hand so I can pray for you? Hold it up high, please. Ask the Lord to restore the joy of your salvation. Yes, so many here. God bless you. God bless you. As heads are bowed and eyes still closed. Again, I've been speaking to those who know Christ, but maybe you're here today and you're not certain heaven's your home. You never even want to experience the joy that salvation brings. And right now, you can experience that joy by receiving Christ as your Savior, by trusting him as one who died for you to take you to heaven when you die. Say, Pastor, how do I do that? I want to know heaven's my home. I like to experience that joy that salvation brings. My friend, you can get, receive that and have it right now by simply putting your dependence, your trust in Christ. And you can do that by the means of a simple prayer. In your own thoughts, in your own heart, talk to God and maybe say something like this. Just say, dear God of heaven, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. And because I've sinned, I've earned, I deserve your punishment. But God, I believe that Christ was punished in my place. I believe that when Jesus died, he died for me. He died to pay for my sin, was buried. And I believe he rose again. And right here this morning, realizing I cannot save myself, that God, I'm trusting Christ to save me. I'm trusting him to forgive me and to give me eternal life right here today. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, my friend, did you pray that prayer this morning? What I mean by that, did you trust Christ as your Savior? If you did, I'd like to know that. I want to pray for those who make that decision. So with heads bowed and eyes are closed, if what I said made sense to you, and today for the first time, you receive Christ as your Savior, with no one looking around, no one leaving, would you simply indicate that by the raise of hand? Say, Pastor, here's my hand. I trusted Christ. Would you pray for me? Anyone all this morning? Pastor, I trusted Christ. Would you pray for me this morning? All right, heads are bowed and eyes closed. Father, I pray now, so many of those who indicate they are saved, were honest enough to say they've lost that joy. Though they cannot lose salvation, Lord, it's so easy because of sin or just everyday life to lose the joy of it. Father, I ask as pastor of these people that you might restore unto us that joy. Help us get excited once again about knowing heaven's our home, knowing we have eternal life, and most of all, knowing you personally as our Savior. Father, restore unto the joy of our salvation. And Lord, we'll be careful to tell others what that joy means. Restore unto us the, the spring in our step and the bounce in our walk. Help others to see others, uh, uh, Christ in us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.